So again, I invite you to turn with me to Romans chapter 8, and I will read uh, verses 31 through 39, the end of this chapter. Today, I'll be focusing in on verse 34 when we come to the sermon. I invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's word and remind you that this is indeed the word of the living God. And what a joyous privilege it is that we hold it in our hands, that we can hear it with our ears this morning. It is a life-giving gift. It is true forever, for everyone. And I pray that we will receive it as such this morning. And it is a joy for me to preach it to people who are eager to hear it. So thank you. So let's hear the word of God once again. Romans eight thirty-one. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who's at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, last week we looked at verse 33, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. And we asked the question, what do we do with our guilt and our shame? This week, we look at verse 34, which really follows up on verse 33. They, they go together. And the question we'll ask this morning is, what do you do if you feel condemned? Or if you fear condemnation? If you fear that you won't make it to heaven, you won't get in, you won't be able to stand before God on the day of judgment. Now, people are afraid of all kinds of things. Some of them are legitimate, some of them are not. We asked the question in our combined Sunday school this morning, what might you be afraid of? I think the first answer was bugs. So, you know, some people are afraid of snakes or spiders or thunderstorms or darkness or heights or the woods Some are afraid of tests or teachers or doctors or needles. Uh, There was a time in my life where I was afraid that I really, when I would really want cereal, I was afraid if I would open the fridge, we would have no milk, you know. Like I said, some are legitimate, some are not. But some people have much greater fear. Some people are afraid that they will lose their salvation. They believe they are Christians today, but they fear they won't be tomorrow or that they won't make it to the end. What if I sin in some horrible manner? What if I stop 
believing. There's this fear that either God will be taken away from me or I will be taken away from God. And I believe this is actually a common fear in this area that we live in, that many people have grown up being taught, even from churches, that you can lose your salvation. The Bible expressly does not teach that. It is not true. And Romans 8 will actually help us answer this fear. It answers that question, can I lose my salvation with a loud resounding no? This is a fear without warrant for the people of God. It's an impossibility. There is no chance. Now you might wonder, well, why does this matter? What difference does it really make if I have the assurance of my salvation or not? And I think the children in our combined Sunday school class could tell you some of the reasons. And kids, you can listen for uh, a story from Pilgrim's Progress today near the end of my sermon. And adults, if you want something to listen for too, you could listen for how many times I quote hymns this morning. But I want to give you some reasons right now. Why does it matter if we have the assurance of our salvation? A few simply from the Westminster Confession of Faith. Beloved, when you have the assurance of your salvation, your joy and your peace and the Holy Spirit will increase. You will be more thankful to God. You will love God more. And you will be strengthened to obey God and to do so with joy. Those are simply a few of the proper fruits of this assurance. And that is fruit that every child of God wants in their lives. But what do you do if you feel condemned or if you fear condemnation? What is your answer, your shield against the accusations or this condemnation? And if it's in any way, if your answer to this feeling or fear of condemnation is in any way because I, you have immediately gone wrong. That is not where your assurance lies. It's not how Paul answers. It's not what he points us to. It's not where he tells us to look in Romans 8, verse 34. Paul gives us four assurances in that one verse. And they're all centered around, not you, but around Christ Jesus. Paul says, because Christ Jesus. It is impossible for any child of God to ever be condemned before God because Christ Jesus is the one who died. Christ Jesus is the one who was raised. Christ Jesus is right now the one who's at the right hand of God. And Christ Jesus is the one who is right now praying for you. So Paul's assurance for the child of God is centered around Jesus Christ, four aspects of his perfect work. And this morning we'll look at each one, but first let us consider the beauty and the glory and the truth of our Savior, the one in whom we find our assurance, the one who takes our fears away. So Paul asks that question, who is to condemn? And he answers, Christ Jesus is the one. And immediately he is directing our answer, our affections away from self and towards Christ. Christ Jesus is the one. If you're a member here, if this is your home church, uh, you have probably heard me say before that Christ is not Jesus' first or last name. It is 
a title that has been given to him by God. That word Christ means anointed one or chosen one, Messiah. It is God's promised king, God's promised savior. So what it's telling us is that Jesus is the one that the Old Testament prophets talked about. He is the one that everything in the Old Testament is pointing us to. The one that God sent to save us, which means that salvation is planned and accomplished by God. So beloved, our freedom from all condemnation was God's idea. Something that he is committed to doing. Something that God himself took the initiative to accomplish. And beloved, God does not fail in his work. Christ Jesus is the one. Now, Jesus, that name, is the name that was given to God's son. Why? Because he would save his people from their sins. That's what his name means, Savior. He will save us from this condemnation. It indicates that Christ is also God in the flesh. Jesus, the true God-man, truly God and truly human. So, beloved, Your hope, your freedom from the fear of any condemnation, the full assurance of your faith is found in this one, Christ Jesus alone. Now, let's look at what Christ Jesus has done. Four aspects of his perfect saving work. First, Christ Jesus is the one who died. So Paul asks, who is to condemn? And his answer, Christ Jesus is the one who died. So Paul points us to the death of Christ as the answer to any condemnation because the death of Jesus was the propitiation for our sins. That word propitiation is a big word, but it is a biblical word worth knowing, worth learning. If you don't know it, it's worth knowing, worth learning. We've talked about it here before. It has come up in our study of the scriptures before. Think about, remember once again, the theme of the book of Romans. So we are studying our way through the book of Romans. We're almost through the end of chapter 8. But the theme of Romans is the gospel of God or the righteousness of God. It's answering this all-important question. How can a sinful people be made right with a holy God? And one answer you could give is this word, propitiation. What this word refers to is the turning away of the wrath of God as the just judgment of our sin by God's own provision of the death of Christ Jesus on the cross. So we know, the scriptures have revealed to us, that God is a God of infinite, perfect love. He is also a God of infinite, perfect holiness and justice. And so God does not, he cannot express love or show mercy at the expense of his holiness, of his justice. God cannot simply overlook our sins. If he does so, he is not righteous. He is not just. Every sin must receive its just punishment. And we can understand this, right? We would not think that a human judge was a good judge if every time a murderer or a thief was brought before him and they were clearly guilty and he simply said, you can just go free. No one would approve of that. We would all cry out in utter rage at the injustice of it. God is more holy than any human judge, more righteous, more just. So he simply cannot overlook sin. But propitiation is the way that the loving God can show guilty sinners mercy. 
He can forgive our sins and do so justly in righteousness. This is exactly what Paul says early in Romans chapter 3, where he writes, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we are all guilty. We are all needy. But then he says this, And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward. So where, where, where does the salvation come from? God himself is putting Christ forward as a propitiation. There's that big word, as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness so that he might be, on the one hand, just. He deals with sin and also the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. Our sins deserve condemnation. And when Jesus died on the cross, our sins were condemned in his death. His death was the propitiation for our sins. So not only did the death of Christ turn aside the wrath of God from us, it also satisfied the wrath of God. Every sin deserves God's wrath and curse. And that is what exactly every sin receives. So for the child of God, the one who trusts in Jesus, beloved, your every sin has indeed already received the full payment of God's righteous and just wrath and the death of Jesus on the cross. That is why there is now no condemnation left for those who are in Christ Jesus. God can never punish you again. He already has punished your sin in Christ. So he can never be angry with you again. No more wrath of God on the child of God ever. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. Beloved, God's wrath on your sin has already been poured out on Jesus. So now, all of his love and all of his favor can be poured out on you. And that is exactly what you receive from God every moment of every day. His love and his favor. So beloved, Paul wants you, when you feel condemned, when you fear condemnation, when you doubt your salvation... When Satan brings his charges against you or others bring them against you or your own conscience brings them against you and they're aiming to condemn you, they bring your sins before your face, Paul wants you to proclaim, Christ Jesus is the one who died. You might say, oh, but you don't know how impatient I have been with my children. Beloved, Christ Jesus is the one who died. Young child, you may say, oh, pastor, but you don't know how mean I am to my brother, to my sister. Young child, Christ Jesus is the one who died. You may say, you don't know how many times I have given in to the same temptation over and over and over again. And I say, beloved, Christ Jesus is the one who died. Well, I can't stop lying. I can't beat my addiction. Christ Jesus is the one who died. Yes, repent of your sin. Yes, make every effort at new obedience. Yes, seek that fruit that comes in keeping with repentance. Yes, get the help that you need. Yes, make use 
of every means of grace that God has provided to you. Yes, do all of those things. But the answer to your feeling of condemnation, your fear of condemnation, is not in you, beloved, nor in anything that you do. It is in this alone. Christ Jesus is the one who died. He is the propitiation for your sin, not any of your efforts. And so that's why we sing, adults, this is number one, if you're counting. Not the labors of my hands can fulfill your law's demands. Could my zeal no respite? No. Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. So do you know, beloved, do you realize for any sin to condemn you, for any person to condemn you, you know what they have to do? They have to rise above the personal work of Christ Jesus. They have to defeat and overpower the blood of Christ. Can you imagine that happening? That is impossible. The only way that your sin can condemn you, that it will condemn you, is if it is not washed in the blood of Jesus. Every sin deserves God's wrath and curse. And that is exactly what every sin receives. Either in Christ Jesus who died, or in your suffering punishment in hell. And so while I speak these words of comfort and assurance and encouragement to the children of God who are here this morning, I must also speak the word of warning to those who have rejected Christ. Friend, if you have not repented of your sin and trusted in Jesus, then Almighty God is still rightly and justly against you. And his wrath is on you. And I would urge you today, right now, here in this very moment, to admit your guilt, to admit your need, to repent of your sin and cry out to Jesus for the mercy and the forgiveness that he offers you this very day. Almighty God commands this of you. This is not to be taken lightly. I am an ambassador for Christ in this very moment. God himself is making his appeal through me to you. And so I implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, God made his own son Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for you, so that you could become the righteousness of God in him. And friend, if you refuse that offer, if you refuse to repent, you dishonor the God who made you. You reject his son Jesus, whom he sent to save you, and you will be held accountable. Your sin will find you out, and you will be punished. Christ Jesus is your only hope of salvation. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. John Newton wrote, Christ has died for our sins. And if he has died for them, then we need not. Amen? Thank you, Jesus. Well, second, Christ Jesus is the one who was raised. Now, by raising Jesus from the dead, God declared that he accepted, he was pleased with the sacrifice of his son. 
by raising Jesus from the dead, God was proclaiming to all the world, to us this very moment, that the death of Jesus accomplished its intended purpose. And this is exactly what Paul says in Romans 4.25. Jesus Christ was delivered up for our trespasses, he died for our sins, and he was raised for our justification. So Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, and then when God raised him from the dead, it was proof positive, beyond any doubt, that we have indeed been justified. Now, by the time we finish our study of Romans, you all will know what justification means. I can bring you before the presbytery, and they could examine you like they would an officer for ordination. And when they ask you, what is justification, you will pass with fine colors. There are two aspects of it, right? Our, forgiveness, our sins are forgiven and righteousness credited. If they, if they bring you before that, this is what I want you to say. There is no sin in my account. How much sin? None. How much righteousness? The perfect, complete righteousness of Jesus. So that being true, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. So beloved, on Good Friday... When Jesus is dying on the cross for your sins, what does he cry out? It is finished. And on Easter Sunday, when that same Jesus, the God-man, truly God and truly human, when he walked out of the tomb alive, God our Father spoke loud and clear for all to hear his eternal enthusiastic, Amen. Amen. Amen? Do you understand what Paul is saying? By raising Jesus from the dead... God, the judge, is saying, look, see him. You are righteous in him. Condemnation now? Never. It's impossible. Jesus said, it is finished. And God the Father said, amen. Yes, it is true. It is good. I wholeheartedly agree. It is so. So if you ever wonder whether Christ's death was sufficient to save you, no matter how guilty you feel, no matter how much you may fear condemnation, Paul says, look to the empty tomb. Christ Jesus is the one who was raised. As we'll sing in a moment, behold him there, the risen lamb, my perfect, spotless righteousness. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Third, Christ Jesus is the one at the right hand of God. The apostle Peter was among the disciples who witnessed the ascension of Jesus Christ 40 days after he had risen from the dead. He was there, saw with his own eyes Jesus being lifted up to heaven. And then he preached in Acts chapter 5, the God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior. To be at the right hand is to be at the place of honor, the place of exaltation. God has exalted Christ Jesus to his right hand as a reward for what Jesus has done, as a reward for his perfect redeeming work. It's another sign to us that what Jesus did was accomplished. It satisfied the Father. So the one who has achieved our salvation by his death has now been honored by God precisely for that achievement, that work. So now God will not, he cannot lose us now. We cannot now 
be condemned. Having done that hard work, so to speak, we might say, he's not now going to leave it uncompleted. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 1, God raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet. So being at the right hand of God means that Jesus is reigning over all. Jesus right now is reigning at the right hand of God with all authority and all power. And what is he exercising that authority, that power for? For your salvation, beloved. For your good, for your benefit. The one who is exalted at the right hand of God with all authority and power, who's been given the name above every name. Right this very moment, he is exercising that authority and that power for your salvation. There's no chance that he will be overpowered and you will be condemned. Now this is a, just a brief word to those of us who have authority, who have power in some way. It's an example for us and a warning for us. That authority, that power is to be exercised for the good of others, not for our own gain. Paul also says in Ephesians chapter 2, that God has made us, past tense, he's already made us sit together with Christ Jesus in the heavenly places. So in God's sight and his plan, we are there right now with Christ. So we may ask, well, can anyone, can anything ever remove us from that position in which we are seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus? And Martin Lloyd-Jones once preached, Can you at one and the same time believe that the almighty and everlasting God has raised you to that position and that there is any power that can ever take you from it? He said, it's an utter absurdity. Beloved, Jesus has plundered the strong man's house. He has come and rescued you. He has set you free. It doesn't work the other way. Satan cannot storm the gates of heaven and take you back. He is powerless to do so. It is impossible. It cannot happen. Since Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth, no difficult, adverse circumstance in your life, no hostile power can come and wrench you from God's hand or separate you from his love. You know, beloved, today, doubt is almost exalted as a virtue. Lack of certainty, almost exalted as a virtue. But beloved, it is not a sign of humility. It's not a sign of spiritual modesty to say that we cannot know for certain that we are saved. It's the exact opposite. It is unbelief. And Jesus says, do not disbelieve, but believe. And we cry out, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And this is what Christians do. Yes, we may struggle with doubt, but Christians believe the word of God. We believe the promises of God. Paul writes this in Romans chapter eight so that we can sing with confidence, with full assurance, Jesus lives and reigns supreme and his kingdom still remaining. I shall also be with him ever living, ever reigning. God has promised, be it must, Jesus is my hope 
and trust. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who's at the right hand of God. And now fourth, Christ Jesus is the one interceding for us. Beloved, Jesus himself is praying for you right now. So how can you be condemned when Jesus himself is interceding for you? One pastor said, at our right hand is our accuser, but at God's right hand is our advocate. And for every argument that the devil speaks against us, Jesus speaks a greater one. He not only died to remove our sins, and he not only rose with his finished work in hand, glorious times of the ancient past, but he also lives now and forever to plead his people's cause. And so, beloved, by Christ's constant, ongoing intercession on our behalf, Jesus is continuing since his resurrection and exaltation to secure for you, his people, the benefits of his death. Jesus will not let this work go unfinished. He will not let this work be overdone. The work that cost him so much. And so the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 7.25, which you really could say is a summary of Romans 8.34, the author writes, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. So what is it about your life? What is it about your faith that causes you to feel condemned the most? What is it about your life or your faith that causes you to fear condemnation the most? You know, we, we all have those areas of our life that hit home, where, where condemnation hits home in our own hearts, where it's hard for us to truly believe that we are forgiven. Where it's hard for us to truly believe that Almighty God, the Holy God, loves us. We have this deep, dark part, perhaps painful part of our lives. And that's why God's word says Jesus is able to save to the uttermost. He is able to reach the deepest, darkest part of your life and save you, and forgive you, and love you all the way home. Dane Ortland talks about this in his book, Gentle and Lowly, that God's forgiving, redeeming, restoring touch reaches down into the darkest crevices of our souls, those places of which we are most ashamed, where we are most defeated. And how do we know this is true? Because Romans 8 says, and Hebrews 7 repeats, that Christ always lives to make intercession for us. So Jesus never ceases to bring his atoning life and death and resurrection before his Father in a moment-by-moment way so that what God the Father sees is not my sin, but the righteousness of his Son, Jesus. What an encouragement this is for us, beloved And God knows that we need to know this because he knows that we are ongoing sinners. How many of you stopped sinning when you were saved? I didn't. None of you have. We don't stop sinning once we're saved. 
and Jesus doesn't stop interceding. Ortland said, Christ continues to intercede on our behalf in heaven because we continue to sin here on earth. Now, all of this work that we've been looking at in Romans 8, 34, is a summary of Christ's work as our mediator. He doesn't do this because he needs to do it for himself. He does it because we need it. He does it for us. He's acting on our behalf for our good. So when you are feeling condemned, when you fear condemnation, beloved, remember Jesus Christ. Remember who he is. Remember, he is the one who has died. Remember, Jesus Christ is the one who was raised. Remember, Jesus Christ is the one who's at the right hand of God. And remember, Jesus Christ is the one interceding for you right now. So beloved, for you to be condemned, what would that require? God the Father would have to turn a deaf ear to the cries of his own beloved son, Jesus Christ. God the Father would have to take his son, Christ, and kick him out of heaven. He would have to dethrone the son whom he raised. He would have to take Jesus and put him back in the grave. He would have to undo all the work that Jesus has done. He would have to go back in time and unsend his son. Now, I've read that you can now unsend an email. Right? You, you send off an email and maybe you did it in anger or, or maybe you said a word you didn't want to. I think you have like 30 seconds. You can undo. You can hit that unsend. Well, God cannot. He will not unsend his son as if he made some kind of mistake. Not only is this impossible, it is unthinkable. As long as Jesus lives and reigns and intercedes, none who trust in him can ever be condemned. This is why Romans 8, 1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Well, beloved, you may say, what happens if I fall into some terrible sin? Doesn't that make a difference? Won't that undo everything? And first off, you already have. You already have. You have sinned and you will sin. We are all guilty and needy and every sin, no matter how small you may think it is or how big it is, every sin deserves God's wrath and curse. The better question is this, did Jesus die for your sin or not? Did his blood cleanse you from your sin or not? Is his blood sufficient to cover only some sin or all sin? So true Christians who are loved by Jesus and love Jesus in return, we can and we do commit and struggle with every sin known to man. And we could do so for years. Pride and lust, hatred and anger, lying and laziness, idolatry and sexual immorality, murder and addiction, all sins. And we suffer from the same kinds of sufferings that all people suffer from, depression and anxiety. There may be believers who are confused about their gender, but beloved, no sin and no suffering can ever bring condemnation to the one for whom Jesus Christ died. It is Christ who's died, who's raised, who's at the right hand of God, who's interceding every day, every moment, without exception. Jesus is actively working. He's not retired. He's actively working 
so that God, your loving Heavenly Father, can deal bountifully with you and shower you with his favor. Do you believe this? It's pretty good news. Well, what difference does it make? What difference does it make if I believe this? What difference does it make if you have the assurance of this wonderful love and grace and favor? Well, we learned some of the difference it makes in our study of Pilgrim's Progress in our combined Sunday school class this summer. So after, you know, it's, the story starts out, Christian is carrying this heavy burden upon his back. And after he loses that burden, and in our class, that big, huge backpack that you kids were running around carrying on your backs, that was representing our sin, our shame, our guilt, the condemnation that weighs us down. But Christian lost that burden at the cross of Christ, where Jesus paid for all his sin. And when he loses that burden, what was he given? He was given a scroll or a roll, that scroll to carry and to read as he continues his pilgrimage onto the celestial city, onto the kingdom of God, onto heaven. And that scroll, what does it symbolize? It symbolizes Christian's assurance of his salvation. It's a gift from God. Because God knows that his beloved children often experience doubt and fear. That can vary in our lives depending on our circumstances, our temperament, the ongoing sin in our lives. God knows we struggle with this and he wants us to be assured. This assurance of salvation from God is meant to comfort us, to strengthen us, to help us as we journey through life, as we strive to obey and glorify God. But what happened to Christian's scroll? He lost it. He lost it on the hill of difficulty. And when he lost it, his journey became much more difficult. And he was almost overcome with despair. So he turned back to find it again. And when he did, when he found again the assurance of his salvation, who's to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. When he found that, he was strengthened for the climb. And he undertook his journey with confidence, with joy, and with hope. Beloved, the same is true for you. As God assures you of your eternal salvation in Christ Jesus. You will be built up in holiness and comfort through faith as you look to Jesus and not yourself for your salvation. Not only your own salvation, but for the salvation of those you love. And you will be strengthened as you look to Jesus and not yourself for the assurance of your salvation. And not for your own assurance only, but also for the assurance of those you love. And you will be strengthened and filled with hope and comfort as you look to Jesus and not yourself for your sanctification, for your growth and grace. It's the love and glory of Christ that compels your obedience. So beloved, you have no need to fear condemnation. And once again, if you feel condemned, Look to Christ Jesus, the one who died for your sin. More than that, the one who was raised, who's at the right hand of God, who indeed right now is interceding for you. Look to Jesus, bearing shame and scoffing rude. In my place, condemned he stood, sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah, what a savior. Amen. Amen. Let us pray.